Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 708 of the Juicebox Podcast. Sometimes my voice is so deep, it shocks me. And just now recording that opening was one of those moments. I can hear myself in my ears and I was like, ooh, Jesus, your voice is deep tonight, Scott. Anyway, today I'm going to be speaking with Jacqueline. This is interesting, right? She's a divorce attorney and the mother of a very young type one. So she came on to give us some advice about how to, you know, dissolve a relationship and help a kid with type one diabetes really good information. And we also talk about her life with type one with her daughter a little bit. It's a nice hodgepodge, a little bit of uh, information, a little bit of entertainment. You know how the podcast goes. While you're listening today, please remember that my voice sounds amazing and that nothing you hear on the juice box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. At the end of this episode, I'm going to give you a link for an article Jacqueline wrote for the Juicebox podcast website. It's going to detail all of her suggestions for you should this um, unfortunate event come up in your life. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is brought to you by Dexcom, and Dexcom makes the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor, and that's something I think you want to know more about. So head to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. The podcast is also sponsored by Omnipod. Now Omnipod makes the Omnipod Dash and they make the Omnipod 5. These are both tubeless insulin pumps that my daughter has worn and we've enjoyed. Head over to Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. In a few minutes, I'm going to do some ads for Omnipod and Dexcom and I'm going to mention some offers they have that I think you're going to enjoy. So look out for that in just a little bit. For now though, this is Jacqueline. My name is Jacqueline, um, professionally Jacqueline Stevens Breisch, and uh, I'm a family law litigator out of Chicago, Illinois. Ah, family law litigator. Is that a very nice way of saying? It's a very nice way of saying I'm a divorce attorney. Um, and divorce, of course, isn't just the the act of divorce, but it's all things leading up to that and all things after that, meaning, you know, people will have issues with parenting and with post-decree issues relating to support and whatnot long after they're divorced. So family law is a nice way of saying that I work not only with, with people who are going through the process of divorce, but those people who are dealing with the aftermath of it. So at any point, for example, you could be met with a person who's went through their divorce a number of years ago, but now one of the others not meeting one of their obligations and so much so that it has to go back to court. Absolutely. And, and that is a, um, that's a big part of my practice. That's, that's more common than probably a lot of people think or understand. No kidding. Oh, okay. Uh, what percentage, I mean, unless you have to make up a number cause you don't know, but what percentage of your day or week do you think is taken up with, um, divorces that are in progress versus maintenance for ones that have already happened? Um, honestly, at any given time, it probably fluctuates to 50, 50, all the way up to maybe the bulk of my practice in any given uh, period of time could be dealing with post-decree issues. And, you know, particularly for our discussion today, dealing with parenting issues that have surfaced 
that no one could have really anticipated at the time that a divorce was entered, or maybe in a situation where uh, one party or the other was represented by someone who didn't do a very good job in formulating a parenting plan. And so now there's issues that need to be addressed that, you know, either weren't foreseen or couldn't have been foreseen or just were handled poorly to begin with. Okay. And just for some context, you are the mother of a child with type one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my little one, I have two kids. Um, My son will be six tomorrow and my three-year-old daughter Everly is type one diabetic. Okay. Oh, well, happy birthday to the older one. And um, how, how old was Everly when she was diagnosed? So she was diagnosed almost a year ago, exactly, uh, January 18th of 2021, and she had just turned two uh, the November prior. So she was just over two years old um, when we figured out that something wasn't right, and we took her to the doctor, and unfortunately, that led us down a path to hospitalization and type 1 diagnosis. Uh, you're married? I'm married, yep. Okay. Um, were you... If you don't mind me just on a flight of answer for one second, were you married before or after you became a family law practicer? So I, um, my, my husband and I, I dated him when we were in law school. Um, I've been practicing for about 11 years and we got married. Uh, we've married eight years. Okay. So is it scary to get married when you know about all the other stuff? You know, it's surprising, but it actually people in my industry have a lower divorce rate <laughs> just because it's, you know, more of what you're getting into. You know, I, I see divorce every day and I know I personally don't want to go through it. Um, and I know that a lot of people probably don't have uh, anywhere near the amount of information that they should when they're contemplating that decision. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that if anything, it's just helped me, you know, pick the right partner for myself. Yeah. Do you think that there's a tiny bit of it that if you guys are fighting, he looks at you and thinks, oh, she will kill me if we get divorced. I have to shut up right now. <laughs> <laughs> we've actually we've, we've joked about that in a in, in lesser arguments, definitely not serious ones. Um, but no, I mean, I think a lot of times in doing what you do, you know, whatever your occupation may be, you tend to just think about it, how it could apply to your own life. And yeah. of course, what I do, it's very, very much meta of, you know, when I'm having an argument with my husband about something and then I have to go defend my client who did the same thing, you know, um, but no, it's, it's, it, yeah, we definitely have those jokes, but in all seriousness, um, you know, as it relates to to parenting issues in particular, I mean, he's he's a great dad, and so I'm I'm very lucky to have a, a partner. You know, and not just you know, a lot of people still have archaic views of marriage, and um, you know, we both work, we both take care of our kids, and um, we're we're lucky in that regard. Well, you're a very mature person. I would stand with a stack of my business cards, flicking them out <laughs> while he was yelling. <laughs> I'd just be like, <laughs> um, you know, you just said something though, before we, before we kind of dive into all this, um, mm-hmm. is it shocking to you still how many people think of marriage as more of a, like, I'm assuming what you meant was a, a purchasing agreement. Like we're together now and these are the things you'll do for me instead of like a partnership. Is that still prevalent in people's minds? Um, I think that there, uh, there certainly is some level of that transaction type relationship, you know, this is the work I do, this is the work you do, whether or not uh, those particular people think that that work has the same value, you know, is kind of what leads to the problems. You know, the traditional model of one parent working outside the home, the other parent staying home and raising children, 
and taking care of the household. Um, that still happens, of course, but that's becoming less and less prevalent as we move forward and you know, as a society. Um, and so those types of marriages, you know, people have been married, you know, 20, 30 years, and now all of a sudden they're getting divorced. Um, those are ones where you can kind of see where there was some cracks, but again, for some people that works incredibly well, you know, some people like to have those defined roles. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in, in my own marriage, my husband and I talk about how difficult it is sometimes to both work, both take care of the kids. And, you know, when you're burnt out at the end of the day and you see your partner, you know, cleaning up the kitchen, like, oh, I really should help, but you know, God, I'm tired. You know, it's so, I don't know that there's a, there's one kind of uh, model that I, I see or don't see. I think it's just becoming now more, I think in, in society that we're seeing marriages that are more partnerships and, you know, I, I made a joke the other day to my mom that, you know, I, I've never seen my husband like sleeping on the couch when my kids are around. You know, I remember as a kid, your old dad sleeping on the couch. I'll everyone be quiet. You know, like, like that, that doesn't happen anymore, you know? So it's just those funny types of things that we're just moving on. And I think, you know, the idea that, oh, like you're a dad, oh, you're, you're babysitting your kids tonight for your wife or, you know, those types mm-hmm. of ideas, maybe they still happen in, in some parts of, of our society, but it's just falling by the wayside and people are recognizing that a marriage takes two, with children particularly, a marriage takes two people who are going to put forth, you know, significant effort in that partnership. Yeah. I I think to ask for the same thing for my birthday every year, and I never have the nerve to say it out loud, but I always want to say to my wife, like, can we just pretend it's 1956 for <laughs> 24 hours? I would like to say something and just experience agreeance <laughs> like no one no one telling me I'm wrong or like like I don't I know that's a weird thing but I mean just imagine being in that dominant position back then I mean life must have just been a dream you, you know what I mean like <laughs> you're an idiot or you don't you don't know what you're talking about everybody's just like oh dad works hard leave him alone and that's sort of the end of it I was like no one's ever once treated me like that no one's ever been like oh <laughs> let him sleep he looks tired right, <laughs> so right. I just wanted or even day. right I mean even just children I mean the things that my kids say to me sometimes I'm just shocked. Like I would have never said that to my parents and, and not even in a disrespectful way, but more just, we treat them with such, you know, it, the way that everyone parents, you know, from millennials to gen X, it's just, it's everyone changes, right? The, the trauma that we went through, we're now trying to undo with our kids and we're going to screw them up in a different way. And mm-hmm. then all of our kids are going to be the same type of parent to their kids because they were, you know, we are going to, we're going to love our kids too much and they're going to give, be given too much of leeway to, you know, ask the questions and, and say what they want to say. It's like, but, it's like you voting, know. you know, they, they say like very conservative parents raise liberal kids, very liberal kids raise conservative children, like that kind of stuff. Um, I listen, when we were first married, uh, my wife and I, we were really young and we had coal. I mean, we were really young, not that young, but I mean, we were in our early 20s, which to me seems inappropriate to have a kid, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I I think we both grew up in co- sort of more of an iron fist like mentality with our parents. Like, you know, I'm going to say a thing now. You're going to do it. Don't mention it again to me. And, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't really care about how happy you are. I just I'm legally a- obliged to keep you alive. I'll hug you once <laughs> right. a year. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. And um and my wife's like, we need to let the kids have their own thoughts. And, you know, I was like, all right. I was like, it seems like a mistake to me. <laughs> I <was> like, but, <laughs> but I think you're right. Like, so, you know, we 
we, we did. And there's still times now, right? There's still times now when something happens and I'll look at my wife very quietly and I'm like, you were the one that wanted to give them all this autonomy. I was like, now they're using it. So just sit there and shut up and take it. <laughs> so, because it, it's, it's hard sometimes, like you said, they'll say something and you think you don't say it out loud because I recognize it's not smart, like, in, you know, uh, from a developmental standpoint to say it out loud. But I have thought a couple of times in my life, man, my dad would have like backhanded me for saying that, you, you know what I mean? And not even like vicious, like horrible things, just like any kind of, maybe I'm giving you too much of a look into how I grew up, but like, you know what I mean? Like just disagreeing in public or saying something that would embarrass them or right, something like that. Right. Yeah. My dad wouldn't have like been like, oh, he's got his own thoughts. <laughs> he would have been like, oh, look, he can't stand up. <laughs> so and not, not that I think it's okay to hit children. This is not what I'm saying, Jacqueline. All right. So um, nothing in this podcast will condone uh, corporal punishment. <laughs> no, of course not. Oh, gosh, do you think it? No, no one's ever thought I'd meant that. Um, I just I grew up in the 70s and my dad didn't like what I did. He hit me like that was just how it worked. He didn't punch me. He didn't, you know, he I I got some sort of a whack somewhere. I don't even know how to put that, I guess. Um and and I but I do think that my wife was right to some degree, you know, to to a great degree. But I also think that it was smart to mix in a little bit of 1970s, not like like a backhand, but just sometimes you have to be, you know, I mean, how do people put it? Usually like you need to be their parents, not their friend, like that kind of an right. idea. But I mean, sometimes I don't know, like you try explaining to a six-year-old to sit down in the middle of a movie theater. Like sometimes they got to be a little afraid, <laughs> you know, like just like, right. you know, like a right. little bit, like a tiny bit. Uh, but anyway, this is not why you're here. You, no, um, but, it, but it does, it does kind of go to, I mean, that delicate balance that a lot of two parent households are able to maintain because those two personalities of the parents can kind of flush all that out. You know, yeah. you can play good cop, bad cop to an extent. Kids know when different needs need to be met, which parent to go to. And, you know, in the context of a divorce and growing up in, you know, a relationship where you have two parents who don't live together and are co-parenting, um, you know, that that creates challenges in and of itself. So when you have, you know, the added pressure of, you know, a child with special medical needs, you know, which is kind of the topic of, of the day that lends itself to all sorts of problems. And, you know, children are, you know, manipulative by nature, depending on their age, they're learning to test boundaries. And so you have people, two people who aren't on the same page, kids are going to exploit that even if they don't mean to. And so it's, you know, it's important when you're parenting children in any respect that you are able to work with your co-parent, you know, assuming you have one. Um, and, to make sure that, you know, everyone's on the same page and there's no ability for the child to just kind of go rogue and go off the rails. <laughs> Listen, I'll share something personal. There are times while you're raising children that one of them will do something and it throws off the delicate balance that you have with your spouse. And then you almost want to pull the kid aside. Obviously, you don't do this, but you want to pull the kid aside and be like, Listen, man, you're going to get me in trouble. Do not do that again. You, you know, like, like I, it took me years to get this lady okay, like with the things that we're talking about right now. Like, don't make her think you're not okay with it. I was like, or suddenly it's going to be two against one. And she's not going to look at me as being wrong. She's going to look at me as the enemy. <laughs> so I was like, if you don't want mommy and daddy divorced one day, stop saying that. <laughs> of course, none of that gets said out loud, but you, you know what I mean? There's moments you're like, oh, don't say that, kid. What are you doing? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Absolutely. All right. So everybody gets married, great intentions. 
they make some babies. One of the babies comes out. It's got an autoimmune order disorder. Let's say type one diabetes. You know, for the 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 you know, for our conversation here, um, what is is it fair to say that most people have not pre-planned their divorce? Yeah. So, uh, and just a couple of points just off the bat. So obviously I'm licensed to practice in Illinois. Every state has different laws as it relates to parenting allocation responsibilities and parenting time. You know, every state has different words and verbiage that they use. So, you know, just as, as you, Scott, give your little precursor at the beginning of our episode, you know, nothing that I say should be considered as legal advice. You should consult with your attorney in your jurisdiction for any questions about any co-parenting issues that you have. Obviously, I'm I'm here to try to provide some additional information and, and just a general outline and precursor that, you know, would lead to a discussion with your attorney um, and, you know, your particular set of facts and circumstances to the extent anyone, you know, hears this and is um, has additional questions should always be addressed with an attorney who can represent you. Um, but, you know, in in Illinois, you know, and I, I feel pretty confident saying that this is true uh, across the country, you can't do anything in regards to a prenuptial agreement that has to do with children. And when I say that, I mean, you can't pre-plan for any financial situations or decisions relative to children, nor can you put into, you know, self prenup to say, oh, I'm going to uh, agree that if we get divorced, you know, mom will have custody. No, no, that's never going to be enforceable because you have to find the facts and circumstances as they exist at the time something is happening. Okay. So as it relates to children, no, can't pre-plan for anything. And so once, you know, you're in the situation where you're deciding that you're going to be divorced or maybe you're already divorced and now your child is diagnosed, you know, any situation like that where you find yourself um, being in a position to make important decisions, it's just so imperative to make sure that you have these thoughts uh, at top of mind with a child with with type one um, that we'll go through today. Because, you know, I think a lot of people are don't know what can be in a parenting plan, don't know what should be in a parenting plan. A lot of people are represented um, by attorneys who might not have the level of knowledge about not only, you know, special medical needs to begin with, but type one specifically. And so, you know, my goal today is to try to provide some insight and information, both from my experience, you know, now being the mother of a type one child, but in the context of what I do for a living, seeing how so many mistakes can be made and, you know, whether they've already been made, trying to rectify them. And if they haven't been made yet, trying to make sure that they don't happen. Okay. Thank you. Uh, that, that'll be absolutely terrific. I, I'm actually very excited to talk to you about this. And it sounds like a bummer of a thing, but one of the biggest sources of consternation that I see online is from divorced parents. And one, right. and one, one parent doesn't get it either medically or doesn't care, you know, and the other one is just out of their mind trying to keep a kid healthy when they're in a situation where they sometimes don't even communicate with the other person or anything that gets said is seen as, um, you know, angry, whether it is or not. It's, it's a very, mm -hmm. very confusing thing. And in the end, 
it ends up hurting the kid. I mean, we all always say that, right? Like, you know, divorce, uh, you know, parents fighting hurts the children. But in this situation, it's hurting them medically and sometimes in right. ways that you might not be able to reverse. So um, it's just super important. I, let me ask you this. Do do people generally speak? Well, let me ask this first. Is the, is the number true that you know of? Is it one in two marriages end in divorce, two in three marriages end in divorce if you have a child with a medical issue? I know that was a bad place to cut it. You're all like, am I going to get divorced? We'll find out in a second if Jacqueline knows. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Made me laugh for some reason. Anyway, Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Dexcom makes the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. And that monitor shows you blood sugars in real time on an Android, iPhone, or Dexcom receiver. I just looked at Arden's blood sugar now. It's actually late in the evening and she's out with a friend getting ice cream. And she missed her bolus. So we're using the Dexcom data to readdress that insulin and get her blood sugar back down without creating a low. I can see Arden's blood sugar right here on my phone. And so could up to 10 followers. So that means you, a spouse, a school nurse, anybody in your life that you want to be able to see your blood sugar or your child's blood sugar, they could do that with the Dexcom share and follow features. Isn't that crazy? Of course it is. It's wonderful. Internet. Technology. Woo! You know. Anyway, Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. No finger sticks. That's a nice thing. You get Dexcom, you don't need any more finger sticks. Dexcom works with uh, all the fun uh, algorithm pumps, like the uh, Control IQ by Tandem and Omnipod 5 from the uh, Omnipod, obviously. <laughs> I should have said and the Omnipod 5, but I'm a little tired, so I'm not going back. Anyway, listen, algorithms are a thing of now and uh, definitely going to be in the future. And Dexcom is a great choice to work with those algorithms. You should check it out at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. And if you don't have an algorithm based pump, if you're just pumping normally or you're using the in-pen from Medtronic Diabetes or whatever you're doing, being able to see your blood sugar or your loved one's blood sugar in real time is it's just game changing. Speed and direction with easy to read arrows a graph that shows you how things are going, everything you need to make better decisions with your insulin and your carbohydrates. Now let's go on to Omnipod now. I'm gonna tell you about the Omnipod Dash. It is possible that you could be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash, and you would find that out at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. At that same link, you can learn about the new Omnipod 5, which is, um, as I just mentioned, Omnipod's new algorithm-based system. So head to my link, omnipod.com forward slash juice box. There's a little blurb there from me. It's actually redesigned. It's very nice. The people who did this did a wonderful job. You can learn about Omnipod 5. You can take Omnipod Dash out for a test drive with a free 30-day trial if you're eligible. You can talk to an Omnipod specialist. There's nothing you can't do at my link. Check your insurance coverage. It's a perfect link. I just I just sounded like somebody. That was funny. Um, Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. And by the way, I didn't mention it before. That was my mistake. You may be eligible for a free 10-day trial of the Dexcom G6. Find out that little bit of information at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. There's links in the show notes to Dexcom and Omnipod and all the sponsors. 
or links at juiceboxpodcast.com. When you click on my links, you're supporting the Juicebox Podcast. So when you take that extra step, it's a big deal for me. Thank you very much. Let's get back to Jacqueline. There's a lot to come. A lot, a lot, actually. For full safety, risk information, and free trial terms and conditions, you can also visit omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. You know, I haven't looked at those specific statistics. I think that also it's hard when you look at, oh, this many marriages will end in divorce. Well, after how many years? And, you know, I mean, so it's it's hard to say. Okay. Obviously, having a child with a significant medical issue, whether it be, you know, something chronic like type one or, or something, you know, horrible and more like in a moment in time, like a cancer diagnosis or something, obviously incredibly stressful for parents to deal with and puts a strain on any marriage, whether or not it's healthy. It's something that's that's really, really hard. I don't have those numbers in front of me in terms okay. of, like you said, well, those, you know, the those one and the, two, the two and three. Yeah, those yeah. are the numbers that my endo tried to scare my wife and I with when Arden was diagnosed. So she, because Oh, that's lovely. Was, Thanks for that. <laughs> she goes, uh, you should immediately seek marital counseling. She had met us 20 minutes before. And, wow. uh, and I was like, <laughs> at first I thought, what can she tell about us that like we don't know? <laughs> I was like, you know, but, um, but then she said she gave us those numbers one and two, then goes to two and three with a chronic condition, and we were like, uh, "Thanks, have a great day." Yeah and, yeah, and and all the more why? I mean, all the more reason why it's so important to get your ducks in a row because if the reason that you are getting divorced is because your co-parent isn't helping, doesn't understand type one you know, is unable to care for your child. I mean, those are, those are scary reasons to then get divorced from that person and then say, okay, like it's your weekend with our kid, you know, I mean, it's so, you know, I think that that's a lot, a a big misconception people have with divorce in general is I'm getting divorced. so I can be rid of this person. Well, if you have kids, you're not rid of them unless they're signing over their rights and, you know, moving across the country and you're never going to see them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if part of the reason why you're having problems in your marriage is because the other parent won't take your child's type one diagnosis seriously, won't help with care. Um, you know, that's a situation that you probably want to work on before you address if, if it's a bigger issue in your marriage. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do to try to force someone to care. And at the end of the day, they have to care. You know, um, you can't really make anyone do anything as we all know. Um, so, but there's things that you can do if you're in the process to force them, maybe you can't force them to care, but you can force them to do what they need to do for your child. And if they don't do that, then you can have remedies with the court to prevent the child from having, you know, extended periods of time that they are under that parent's care. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's interesting. You're making divorce sound like. You just don't live in the same house and your laundry doesn't get commingled anymore. But other than that, a lot of it stays the same. I mean, it does. When you have, I mean, if you have young kids and if you have a a child, I mean, again, the the focus of today, of course, is type one. If you have a child with type one, I mean, how many times a day until your child is somewhat self-sufficient, you know, if one parent is the, is the point person, that's a tremendous amount of pressure on that parent to then just say, okay, 
you're going to moms or you're going to dads, you know, best of luck. No, of course not. I mean, just like you wouldn't send a child somewhere where they could be neglected, just like you wouldn't send a child somewhere where maybe your co-parent has, you know, a mental health issue or that's uncontrolled or a drug issue that's uncontrolled, you know, you're not going to send your child somewhere where they're not going to be taken care of. Right. And that is, you know, again, looking at the, the different ways that the laws uh, impact things here in Illinois. Um, one of the situations that we look at and, and one of the standards or, or levels that you have to look at in order to change parenting time is looking at whether or not something is a serious endangerment. You know, that's kind of what gives rise to an emergency. That's what you would have to prove in order to make a change for, uh, for a parenting plan. Um, and, you know, it, this is a serious endangerment. I mean, to, to say, okay, I see in your Facebook group all the time, oh, my, my kid just came back from moms and, you know, their sugar was 300 the whole time they were there. I mean, that, that's not okay. That's not acceptable. If you sent your child to, you know, any other, if you sent them to childcare, if you sent them to camp and those numbers were happening, you would have a fit. Mm. So why is it okay? Just because it's the other, it's the child's other parent. So, okay. So if this is your situation is, um, I mean, what are my first steps? Let's just say it's happening to me and I want to do something about it. I find an attorney first. Is that going to be an expensive proposition always or not necessarily? Well, I think so taking a step back, I mean, obviously the first thing is let's hope that most people who are taking this advice are not divorced yet and can put together a parenting plan that kind of addresses some of the things that we'll continue to talk about. Okay. If you are already divorced, right? So you're already divorced. You already have a parenting agreement. It doesn't address diabetes. It doesn't address medical care, except as a, you know, little boilerplate blurb. Um, and you're having these issues, child's going to the other parent, their diabetes is uncontrolled. They're not getting, you know, they're not bolusing for meals. They're consistently high. Um, they're having dangerous lows. No one's answering the phone, you know, all these horrible things, right? So a couple of different things. Number one, a lot of people will have mediation clauses within their parenting agreements. Um, if you have a mediation clause in your parenting agreement, then that's the first thing you should do. You know, you should raise the issue with the other parent, say, I'd like to go to mediation. I don't want to go to court. I just want to have a third party there to help us walk us through this. Let's get some new plans in place. Um, maybe that means that the other parent needs to go through some type of diabetes education. You know, go back to the drawing board. Remember when you were in the hospital, when your kid was first diagnosed and, you know, they're throwing all this information at you and obviously you weren't absorbing it. So maybe time for us to hire, you know, a CDE and maybe a, for, time for us to go back just to, you know, the basics and make sure that we all understand what's going on here because clearly you don't understand how serious, you know, our, our child's health is. Um, Jacqueline, if I say that. Know, and and my spouse says to themselves, uh, mediation, I know I don't do a good job with diabetes. If I go to mediation, this is me getting in trouble. I'm not going to mediation. Then Okay, then you're then then you're going to court. Then you're going yeah, to court. Then, okay. then 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 you're hiring a lawyer and you're gonna file, you know, the appropriate pleading with the court to amend your parenting plan. And you know, here's what's been going on since our parenting plan was entered, or here's what's been going on since our child was diagnosed, depending on the facts and circumstances of your case. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, if, if the other parent is brushing off your concerns, you keep documenting it. And again, I, I, I you know, this shouldn't be a, a situation where, oh, you know, we had a bad, you know, pod site change and, oh, you know, child was up to 250 and this was a one-time thing. And okay, now I'm going to court. Yeah, this is, you know, this is chronic highs. This is no, you know, we're not taking care of diabetes. This is, you know, serious. Yeah. You know, you document it in writing, whether that's through text, emails, you know, put together, you know, that information. Every time they come back from mom or dad's and they're high, you know, keep a log, keep a journal, you know, you've got the log with, you know, Dexcom. If you have a Dexcom, you've got, you know, Gluco, if you have a pod or what have you, I mean, you have all of the data at your fingertips to say, look at this was dad's weekend, you know, and look at his numbers or look at her numbers, look at what was going on at mom's house. It's, it's easy for us with the technology we have, assuming you have access to that technology to show what's going on. You know, it's, it's not hearsay. It's, it's proof. It's, it's on a report. So you know, keep documenting it and raise it. And if they won't do anything about it, then you have to file something with the court to have the court make a change. I wonder what happens in a scenario where, I don't know, like making something up, let's say the doctor is okay with blood sugars that are 250 um, and you're not. So one spouse or one, excuse me, one parent is, you know, not letting the blood sugar go over 250. It's jumping up and down. There's no stability. When you have the kid at home, you've got these more stable blood sugars, but you go back and say, look, this is, I mean, is there really someone there that would understand the difference between like diabetes ideas, like, like stability and, and, or do you need to bring in an expert to, to even say, look, the doctor's not as on top of this as they should be. And I, do you know what I mean? Like that, I see that spoken about so often. It's why I bring it up. Um yeah. I mean, you would, you would need your doctor to be supportive because yes, of course, a judge is not, a judge isn't going to have the medical expertise necessary. And, you know, you wouldn't be able to testify as to what healthy blood sugars are, but judges can take judicial notice of medical journals. Judges can take judicial notice of, you know, those types you know literature that's out there that's medically accepted about healthy blood blood sugars, about, you know, these tremendous swings about high blood sugars. So yeah, I mean, if you've got an endo that's okay with 250, I mean, your first thing is you should get a new endo. But, um, you know, I think that it's, it's important that you have some, something for a, a court to look at to say, okay, what this person is saying is true. Um, is, and you know, we've got that literature out there. Is it that easy to switch doctors if I'm in a divorce situation or do I have to have the agreement of the other person as well. Totally depends on what your parenting plan says. So, I mean, if you're in the process of a divorce and there is no parenting plan yet, you're not yet divorced, um, then you're kind of in a limbo because no one has been allocated medical decision-making responsibility. So just backing up just a little bit, you know, we, we always used to use the word custody. That's kind of the word that was, um, used throughout, you know, the 50s, 60s, and 70s as we got into, it wasn't just automatic that mom was going to have custody in this case of a divorce. And we got through this whole idea of the tender years doctrine of, you know, children automatically went with mom. So now this word custody kind of became a bad word in my industry. And so we started to use the the concept of 
parental responsibility. So it's decision-making and then it's parenting time. Those are kind of the two components of what we used to call custody. So in the decision-making world, you know, particularly when it comes to medical decision-making, you know, usually in your parenting plan, you're going to have this all allocated as to who makes final decisions for medical. A lot of times it's joint. So we're going to keep the same doctors and we are going to attempt to agree utilizing the recommendation of the doctor. And maybe if, you know, one parent doesn't agree, they can get a second opinion. And ultimately, if you don't agree at all, you can take it to mediation, you can go to court. You know, with with things like your child's medical uh, decisions, I mean, in a perfect world, you're able to work through those things with your co-parent because the two of you have the most knowledge, you'd think, um, about what your child goes through. And for people who don't have children who have any special medical needs, that's not really something that that comes up very often. Um, in this situation, if you already are going through a divorce, you don't have a parenting plan in place, you know, yes, you can go and change your, your doctor. And again, do whatever your attorney tells you you can or can't do. Um, but there's, there's nothing in place at that juncture that would prevent or really allow you to do that. So okay. it's, you know, until you're divorced, you're married and you can do anything that you would do in the context of what you would otherwise do for your child, you know, in right. your marriage. I, I just, I find, I feel like what you're telling me is that when that agreement gets set up, that's the land grab moment, right? Like if you think you're the more responsible one or the one who understands the diabetes better, that's the chance that you have to kind of swing things in your favor when you're setting it up, when you're setting up that agreement. And it's possible if you think you're married to somebody or getting divorced from somebody who doesn't understand or care all that much to begin with, I would think it would be pretty easy to put the responsibility on you, almost thinking the other person might want it to be off of them. I know that's me being a little Machiavellian, but I think that like right there's your shot. Is that fair? That that is fair. And a lot of times, um, you know, it, it takes a level of respect for the other parent to recognize that and to say, you know what, you are the one who's better suited. Um, and, and that's, that's okay. That doesn't mean that I'm a weak parent, but you know, if, if you've been the point person and you're going to all the doctor's visits alone and you know, your child's insulin sensitivity factor, and you know, their carb ratios and the other parent is clueless and they're, they've never put on, you know, a Dexcom, they don't do a pump change. I mean, yeah, you should be the one who's, who's responsible. I mean, that just makes sense. That's not, that's not to, to paint the other parent in a negative light. Mm -hmm. Going back to what you said earlier, it's, it's what's best for the kids. And so if I know, and, and this is obviously not true in my situation, my, I mean, my, I'm, I'm lucky that my husband uh, knows all of this, but I am the point person day to day that does my daughter's diabetes stuff, right? I mean, yes, does he change her Dexcom if, you know, we have a failure and I'm not home, of course, but I'm the one that does it, you know, day in and day out. Um, and, you know, with COVID and only one parent can go to appointments, you know, yes, I'm the one who, who typically would take the reins. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you know that your other parent is the one who is doing the research and who's, you know, more invested, why wouldn't they have decision-making responsibility um, even if it's kind of a pseudo 
joint decision making, but then if we can't come to an agreement, ultimately parent A is the one with responsibility, right? You're still getting consulted. You're still getting information. You're still welcome to go to appointments. But at the end of the day, the person who has more knowledge is going to make the final decision. Okay. Hold on one second. I had a weird computer monitor issue and I am fixing it right now. It's not affecting us recording. It's just freaked me out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being honest. Well, you are not making divorce sound fun at all, Jacqueline. <laughs> I just have it's, to tell you that right yes. now. It's, um, uh, and, and, and it's not. Yeah. Um, you know, you've, you've got to have a good guide to get you through it. Um, we, but, you know, if you're, if you're contemplating divorce or you're in the process, it is so crucial to include terms to your parenting agreement to provide for a parenting schedule and decision making as it relates to your child's health that's in your child's best interest. And, of course, that's, you know, whether or not you have a child with type one, I mean, that's, that's clear, but in our situations, you know, if you've got the other parent who doesn't wake up to alarms, hasn't managed care, you know, your child's not old enough to take on the responsibility in any way themselves, it might not be appropriate for your co-parent to have, you know, overnight parenting time at first. Mm -hmm. It might not be appropriate until they can demonstrate that they're up to that task. And maybe that does require some additional education and, you know, those types of things, having those working through that pre-divorce will, you know, help prevent issues post-divorce. But if you're already in the situation that, you know, we discussed where, you know, you've got, you've got a co-parent who's just not taking it seriously, that's where now you're going to have to go back in and kind of fix uh, what was not really done right the first time. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking that I was wondering how frequently do people get this right the first time in these agreements and how many times does it take seeing the problems so you can adjust the agreements? Because I'm also imagining, you know, while you're getting divorced, you're probably not in a great frame of mind. You're probably leaning on the attorney and the attorney probably doesn't have a ton of knowledge about type one diabetes. So even things that might look very normal in a health agreement might not be valuable in a diabetes agreement. Absolutely. And I mean, how would they have any knowledge? You know, I mean, for me personally, until, you know, until I was thrust into the situation that I'm in with my daughter, I was completely ignorant about diabetes. And you see that every day. I mean, you know, family members, coworkers, I mean, people don't know it. How would they know? I don't expect them to know. Um, And I had some background with it. Like my father-in-law was type one. I had gestational diabetes with my first pregnancy, weirdly enough, not with my daughter, with my son. Um, So, you know, I had like some base level knowledge, but this is, you know, this is a, such a chronic thing. I mean, we, we don't, other conditions have, you know, flare ups and remission, you know, you have a good day, you have a bad day. I mean, this is every day, as you know, we don't get a break. You know, this is everything they put in their mouth, every hormone, every activity. It's 24 seven. It doesn't stop. And it's exhausting and it wears on parents, whether they're married or, or, you know, working separately to try to raise their kids. So, you know, having this stuff in an agreement is not something that's going to just be, you know, second nature or, you know, you're, you're going to have to explain this to your attorney and you have to explain to your attorney how important it is. And their boilerplate agreement that they've been working on for 10 years is not going to include this type of language. You have to be an advocate for yourself and for your children. Right. Uh, fun. Di- I was going to say fun. I'll still say it. fun divorce question. Uh, what's the what's the most common cause of divorce? Is it infidelity or money? 
you know, that's so funny to say there, I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't say that there is a most common cause. Um, I wouldn't say it's infidelity. Um, I think that it's people who don't want to be married anymore. That's, that's the most common cause of divorce, Scott. People don't want to be married anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And, and why it's a whole slew of reasons. I mean, it's so complex. It's, you know, years of, of harboring resentment over, you know, roles in the marriage that relates to money, that relates to family, that relates to how you parent, you know, there's, there's so much there. Um, I, I couldn't say that there's one thing that I say, Oh, yep. See this every Tuesday. You no know, kidding. do you ever look at people and think, Oh my God, it's so obvious. You should, you two sh- never should have been married. How did you not see it? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because I don't, and it is, it's funny now in, in the, in the world of zoom where I sometimes don't even physically meet my clients anymore, but, um, you know, I so rarely get to see the dynamic between the people, mm-hmm. except in, you know, reading their emails to one another, reading their text messages. I, I don't typically see the two parties interact. So I don't really get to have that level of insight, except in a mediation setting where, you know, we're all in a room and we're trying to work through the, you know, what could be an agreement. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, most it you never I never want to become too jaded or like, oh, I've seen this one before because that that translates to the client. Every client's different. And I, I never want a client to feel that way. But, you know, as I go on, I definitely can see the same type of relationships over and over. Mm-hmm. Things change. There's nuances, but it's it's the same type of dynamics. And so it's it's not necessarily like a one issue, yeah. but it's like, oh, yeah, I've seen this, you know narcissistic personality with like a totally enabling type before, you know, yeah. I, yeah, it's funny. I feel very similarly about not wanting anything to feel blase. I, I actually only answer my email from listeners um, like monthly, but the ones that are just like, look what I did. Or, you know, like they're trying to like share their, their excitement with you, stuff like that, because I don't want to get into the point where I'm just dashing back an email to somebody just blithely being like, Hey, good job. You know what I mean? Where uh-huh. when they've made some amazing medical leap for themselves. So, yeah. and, and, you know, I, that might sound strange to other people, but if you're in my position, I see it so frequently that, I mean, there are times when I get your emails and I'm like, yeah, of course you did the stuff I said in the podcast and your A1C is five and a half now. <laughs> and I told you it was going to be like that. You, you know what I mean? But you, that's not how you want to answer. You want to be like, wow, this is amazing. And cause that is actually how I feel. It's just that when you're busy day over day. So I, I, I take your point. I thought that was kind of nice that you don't want to feel that way when you're when you're when you have people sitting in front of you virtually or or actually. Um, right. Did right. COVID pick up divorces? Um, well, at first, it kind of put everything on pause with, with the level of uncertainty that everyone was was dealing with. Um, you know, courts had to figure out how to go remote. It was incredibly stressful and crazy. And we were getting updates every day and things were changing and, you know, we're trying to zoom into court and everything. I mean, it was just, it was nuts. Um, and then I think, you know, things picked up again, you know, kind of once everybody got their arms around what was happening. Um, and, you know, I mean, 
I hate to say it, but people, you know, forced to stay home with someone that you're maybe going to be on the verge of getting divorced with, like it's going to push you over the edge. Oh, so I had, can we just chat for a second, Jacqueline? I, there was a person, as soon as this happened and, and the first time we all got locked down, I, I won't, obviously won't say their names, but I went to my wife and I was like, Hey, you know, blank and blank. She's like, yeah, I'm like, they're totally going to get divorced this year. And, <laughs> and she's like, what? I'm like, the separation is how he runs all the infidelity. Like, he's not going to mm-hmm. be able to stop cheating just because they're all together. Like, so he's going to get, I know it. I know he's a grown man, but he's going to lose his mind like a child. And he's going to try to fit this cheating in a lot. And sure enough, boom, just like that. I felt like Nostradamus when I figured that one out. I was like, there's no, mm-hmm. there's no way he's going to stop. And there's no way he's going to be able to hide it. And uh, now he doesn't live there anymore. So uh, yeah. I was like, ah, I called that one. <laughs> my neighbor is uh, an older gentleman in his 60s and um i said how's it being with you know not getting out much and he's so funny he goes oh we're fine and i was like yeah he goes plus i ain't leaving and i was like what and he goes if she wants to leave she can leave and i was like right he goes it's my house i bought all this stuff i ain't going anywhere i was like i love that older attitude like in the 60s like i'm too close to the end now i ain't i ain't got <laughs> If you want to go, you can go. I'm not. I'm not. I'm staying here. <laughs> like you know, it, he almost came at me. Like by the way, these people get along really well. It's not 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 the point of the conversation. But but his intent was sort of like, like if she doesn't like me, I get it. But uh, <laughs> just that uh, like I don't know. We've been at this too long. I'm not leaving this place. And I was like, gotcha. I I don't know. I think it's funny how different people think about it. And I I think it's interesting how some people treat it so. Um, you know, just kind of like it's almost unimportant. Like, I, I don't I don't see it that way. I, I remember saying to my wife when we were younger and we were talking about what our expectations were for being married. I said, the way I see it, I was like, you know, if we stay married our whole lives, I don't know how long that'll be. You know, I said, maybe it's 30 years. And I was like, and if like eight of those years are amazing and three of them are pretty good and five of them suck and, you know, eight of them are fine. Like, you know what I mean? Like I said, that would make sense to me. Like, I, I don't expect every day to be magical you you know what i mean but i wonder how many people do have that expectation and i hate to be the person to say something like this but as um you know i don't want to say in these times because that really makes me sound old but you know in a (laughs) in a world we live in now where we're you know gratification is so readily available Mm -hmm. like how hard is it to have like a real like you know down and dirty like personal relationship with communication face-to-face communication when you know everybody's texting and looking at their phones and, and, and not that really, I mean, my son's still learning how to talk to people and he's going to be 22, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating how, I mean, communication is obviously the key of most of these problems. And, you know, we are not a society of people who are good at communicating to begin with. So, right. Yeah. You know, it's funny and we're just chatting at this point, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This isn't like the legal part. Don't worry. Okay. So we, uh, I was talking about that with my husband the other day because, you know, when you think about it and, you know, I, I was born in the eighties and when I think about, you know, watching TV, like I was explaining to my son, you know, when I was a kid, you know, you had a certain amount of channels. That's what you had. You know, you didn't have YouTube. You can just look up anything you wanted and, you know, start going on a tangent. And it's, you know, we all watched the same news. 
you know, there wasn't all these news outlets and, you know, these conspiracy theorists and all. It, it was, you know, you watched the news, you watched what was on, you know, must-see TV and you went to bed and, you know, you watched commercials and you ran to the bathroom at a commercial break. And, you know, it's, yeah, it, you had well, to be with each other. You know, you're either watching TV or you were in silence, yeah. you know. Jacqueline, if you were a conspiracy theorist in the 80s, people thought you were nuts. And now you have a very popular podcast, if you think that way. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're, you're like, you're a famous person. And to your point, I, I know my daughter always looks at me weird because I like mash the television show. And mm-hmm. I was like, you don't understand. It's what was on. First of all, you, you know, like <laughs> it, it, I liked it enough and I thought it was funny and I watched it and I told her, I was like a hundred and like, I think, Oh God, what was the number? Like 106 million people watched the finale yeah. of mash live. They couldn't live. time shift it. You had to be there when it started, you, right. you, you know? And you scheduled your life around it. Oh my god. Like you're like, we gotta be home to wash mash. Yeah. Oh <laughs> my god. I, I, I still have a, a, a completely uh clear view of us sitting in a restaurant on a Friday evening in October and me being like, You all gotta eat faster, man. Like the Charlie Brown Halloween special is on at eight o'clock. It's on CBS, and we gotta go. And I joked in another episode, that special is why I can sing the Almond Joys commercial song. <laughs> like, like, you know, because it, they were always the sponsor of that special. And I made sure to see it every year. You know what ruined mm-hmm. it when they put it on videotape? The minute, <laughs> the minute it wasn't special, I didn't like, yep. I didn't care about it anymore. Yeah. Or, Cause or now anything. it's accessible. You can watch it anytime. Yeah. I just didn't care anymore. So but I, anyway, I think there's something to be learned from that. Not that anybody's actually going to learn it. Um, but I, I can't see that marriage isn't either going to, uh, lesson in in popularity in general or you know and maybe that'll be helpful maybe people will get married when they're older and that will you know have people find matches that are maybe a little better suited like i am i'm stunned that my wife and i are still married because just because of the age of when we met and got together if if for Mm -hmm. no other reason it just you know like i think statistically we should probably not be married (laughs) because of like i think my wife was like i mean was she 21 or 22 when we got married? Something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, what, it's, young. Like, it's yeah. not happening anymore. No. I mean, you know, of course there's certain situations, but no, that's people are waiting longer and longer and, you know, probably with better results, but who knows? Yeah, I'll be dead by the time we know the, the, uh, the yeah. outcome of that. <laughs> so I don't care. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I do have a question about the, um, you know, because it, it seems so obvious to you because it's your profession. Like you just do this, you get an attorney, you do that. But that would seem overwhelming, I would imagine, to most people and or they'd be concerned about the finances of it. Um, sure. And then that to me seems like that would create just inaction. And and then the person who would get hurt in that again would be the kid and their diabetes. So yeah. can these decisions be made in a quickie divorce in, um you know, in with an attorney that's maybe not as adept, like how would you do those things on the cheap? I guess I'm asking. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's the same way that you you might look at the type of information you'd want to put into your kid's 504 plan, you know, and and we're not there yet because my little one's only three, but we just had her, her annual appointment and I was asking her, I know about it. So it's just kind of top of mind for me where you've got to think about, okay, let me walk myself through a typical week and maybe, you know, maybe my child's going to go to so and you know, other parents house on Wednesday and then for the weekend or whatever the case may be. 
what's that going to look like? You know, what's the physical distance? How are we going to communicate? What are we doing to manage supplies? Are we transporting everything for each parenting exchange? Are we going to have sufficient supplies at each home? You know, do they have, you know, how are we going to manage picking up insulin and keeping it refrigerated and who's going to have it? Are we going to keep a stockpile at both parents' houses? Like, what are we going to do there? Um, what kind of communication tools are you going to use? You know, are you comfortable just texting with your co-parent? Are you going to email? Do you want to have something more formal, like a co-parenting communication app where you can actually log things in and put things on a calendar? Um, you know, what makes sense for the kids for their schedule? And, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, dad's really bad at breakfast. So maybe Sunday night, instead of them sleeping over till Monday, they go back to your house. That doesn't take away from dad's ability to parent, but it's just starting the week fresh with you on Monday, because you know, you're going to get them a good breakfast in that's not going to spike their blood sugar before school. So, you know, all of these things, it's just a matter of you as an individual who's not a divorce attorney doesn't know how to put pen to paper and, and recognize what can be in a parenting plan. Because if you go to, you know, just your regular Joe Schmo divorce attorney, you know, they've got their template that they're going to give you, and it's not going to have any of this in there. And, you know, unless what you're trying to agree to is somehow unconscionable or not in your children's best interest, a judge typically is not going to care what you want to agree to as it relates to your children. So you might want to put in a whole slew of information about, you know, time and range or, you know, having more education. You could put anything you want in a parenting plan. As long as it's to the benefit of your kids, a judge is going to enter it. And so you've got to talk these things through with a lawyer. And if that lawyer is telling you like, oh, well, that's not how we do things. You know, yeah, it's it's daunting to think about having to hire a more experienced lawyer. It's daunting to think about what that cost and expense might look like. Mm -hmm. But it's also daunting to think about what your kid's life might be like if he or she has poor diabetes management and that has really significant long-term health issues. Right. You know, we all spend money on things we don't want to spend money on and this is your kid's life. So, I mean, to me, it's an area that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if you can do a lot of the legwork yourself and you can go to a lawyer and say like, look, I, this is a really limited scope. This is what I want your help with, you know, have yourself ready to go and hopefully they can, they can help you. I'm going to ask you something that you should feel completely free to say no to it, it, up to the point where you can tell me, please like edit this out so that people don't hear me say <laughs> no to this, Scott. Okay. But if you wanted to um, write a piece on this, like a blog post, I would, I would be thrilled to host it on my site. Um, sure. Absolutely. Would you really be interested in doing that? That, um, yeah. you know, cause you said something at the beginning of, of, of that part of the conversation where you, you know, I, I felt like you were like alluding to like almost the way, the podcast helps people with management. Like you should have that kind of information. And I just keep thinking like, where are they going to get it from? Like that is a super specific situation, right? Like your kid has type one diabetes and you're getting divorced and here's some bullet points for things I should be thinking about. Like, where are they really going to get that from? You, you know, um, if you, if you were interested in doing that, I, I, that'd be amazing. And if you're not, or it's too much work for you, or you don't want to have your name on something like that, you would tell me. And, and I absolutely would just like chop this out. Nobody would ever know. I said it to you, but, um, but if you're interested, I'd be thrilled to have that. Yeah, no, I absolutely could. I mean, I kind of put something together for today just to keep my thoughts fresh. So mm -hmm. 
yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. If you can turn it into something, I will put it out at the same time as this episode. That'd be amazing. Thank you. That's yeah. really, really kind of you because I just keep picturing like maybe I'm a pessimist, but divorce doesn't seem like a happy time. And I think it's easy to kind of like crumble in on yourself. And especially if you don't want, I mean, what if you are, I mean, we can, what if this to death, but what if you're the one who's in charge of the medical stuff and you're being left and you're emotionally crushed? Like, how do you pick your head up to do these things in this Mm -hmm. moment? And what if we can make it easier for people to just walk into an attorney's office just with a printout of something and say, look, these are the things that are important in the health portion uh, because my son has diabetes and et cetera. Um, I just think that might be a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times too, you know, as unfortunate as it is, this is a contract, this is a negotiation and, you know, you have to, there, there's give and take when you're trying to come up with an agreement. And, you know, if you're so close to getting an agreement done and your, your, you know, spouse or your co-parent is, is unwilling to put in certain language, you've got to decide. Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to court over this? Or am I just going to agree to keep it out to get this done? And then, yeah, then you find yourself in a situation where you've got a parenting plan that doesn't work for you and that's negatively impacting your child. Um, But that's why, you know, parenting issues are always modifiable. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, you can't contract away for something and say this can never change because it always depends on the facts and circumstances that are in place at that time. Um, And so you can always make a change. Yeah. And that's, that's something that's really important for people to know who feel defeated. Like, oh, you know, I, I got divorced a couple of years ago and I was right in the throes of, you know, my child's diagnosis. And I just, I didn't know. And I didn't think, and, you know, it's, it's not too late just because you did that. Yeah. You can go in and you can change things. And when it comes to the health and safety of your child, like, I mean, I'm sure most people who are listening to this podcast either listen to it for themselves, for their own knowledge or for their child's knowledge. And, you know, you'll, nothing's going to ever stop you. If you're already listening to this podcast, it's because you really care and you're trying to make your kid's life better. Yeah. And And, people should be able to carry that over to this. I would believe. Right. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it's, you know, does it, does it, does it hurt the wallet to say like, okay, I'm going to have to go and spend thousands of dollars in attorney's fees to change this. Yeah, it does. But like if your kid's five, okay, that's like 13 years of his life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. We can aggregate I mean, that cost out a little bit. Um, y- y- you know, it's funny. I just realized that when I first made Arden's first 504 plan, I purposely put a couple things in it. I didn't care a lot about so I could give them away in negotiations. And then, <laughs> and then moving forward every year, there'd always be something in there that became unimportant because Arden got older or the school changed or something like that. And I would always make sure if, when we got stuck, I'd say, listen, why don't, if you can let this go, I can let this go. I always Mm -hmm. had like a little bit of like, I always thought about that. I don't know. It just makes sense to me. But when you said it, I was like, Oh, that's smart. You got a little lawyer in your sky. I mean, that's, that's the way of the world, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We call them throwaways. My, uh, oh, they have a name. Excellent. My, um, when I left eighth grade, Jacqueline, eighth grade, the last day of school, I was walking in the hallway. The guidance counselor stepped out in the hall, grabbed me, snatched me into a corridor. He was not going to touch me inappropriately. He had something he wanted to say. He pulled me into this little corridor and he goes, um, uh, you're going to high school now. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> he goes, any idea what you want to do with your life? And I was like, nope. And he goes, you should be an attorney. And I said, uh what? And he goes, you'd be a good attorney. And I said, thank you. He goes, you think you want to be attorney? And I go, no. 
And he goes, why not? And I said, well, then I'd be an attorney every day. And I realized, I realized now looking back, like I really did not want to, I couldn't imagine doing the same thing every day in, you know, when I was in eighth grade. Um, I always thought he took it as like an attorney joke, like, because I was like, well, then I'll be an attorney. <laughs> but I wasn't, I was just, I, I just didn't want to do the same thing every day. I, I've always kind of like rubbed up against that idea, but I do think I'd be great. Actually, I think Arden would make a great attorney. She's, All right. Well, if she wants some some pointers. Send her my. Wife. I I still think my son, who hates school, so probably won't do this. Um, he argues. He's such a good arguer. It's just like you can't you can't win. He's just so fact based. He doesn't get emotional when he's arguing. It's just too hard to like. You're like Jesus. Like, you're looking for a crack. You know what I mean. You can't find one. Just, but I I don't know. I'm I'm sure he's. Uh, I think when he graduates, he's getting the hell out of college. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if he's looking for more or not. Although he talks about grad school sometimes, so I don't think he knows what he's doing. Anyway, um, I I needed one of the kids to be an attorney because it's clear Kelly's eventually going to get sick of me, and I'm going to need some representation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you think most married men feel that way? Like they're on some sort of a time clock where they're like, I wonder when she's just going to get sick of me and this is going to be done. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I always tell my kids, I'm like, do not – listen, I worked really hard for you guys uh, while I was younger. Daddy cannot end up living in an apartment above a pizza place, okay? That's all, <laughs> that's all I want to make sure. I just don't want to live above a pizza place. That's the worst thing I can imagine. Um Anyway, uh, is there anything we haven't talked about that we should have? I know you have a list in front of you, so. Yeah, I mean, I think just, you know, one of the things I, I wanted to touch on was, you know, okay, assuming that everything that I've talked about of of trying to, you know, put together a parenting plan, okay, that's out the window. You know, we're talking about someone who is facing a diagnosis, you know, they're already divorced or, you know, they they put together a quickie parenting plan because they didn't have the time or resources or the emotional ability to deal with it at the time they were going through the divorce, but now they've realized there's issues. And, you know, you've got a parent who's not taking your child's health seriously. I think one of the things you asked me like, okay, you know, you don't want to go to mediation. So what's your option? Your only option is really court. You know, there are some other uh, kind of newer and and nuanced things that people are doing. Um, you know, like I like I started the episode out with saying is you know you can't. There's nothing that you can do to make the other parent care, but you can force changes in their behavior by making there be consequences to their behaviors and actions. So whether that's less time with your child because they just can't keep their child healthy. Um, whether that's, you know, even doing some sort of parenting education, not necessarily diabetes related education, but, you know, is the other parent doing this because they're being spiteful? You know, are they, you know, I I see all the time where there's, there's an issue for one parent, the other parent doesn't think is a big of a deal. So now they're going to downplay it even more out of spite. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, oh, you know, his numbers aren't that bad, get over it, you know, that type of thing where it's almost like a gaslighting and it's it's very much conflict between the two parents is now trickling down to the child. Yeah. So a lot of times parenting education, working with, you know, a licensed therapist who deals with these things can actually help the two of you learn how to better communicate as co-parents. Um, another thing that people do sometimes is to utilize what's called a parenting coordinator and that is basically like an intermediary step that you don't have to go to mediation. You don't have to go to court. 
here's this third party who is typically a family law attorney as well, who's going to listen to what the dispute is and make some sort of recommendation. And if neither of you challenge that recommendation, it becomes as good as if it's a court order. Hmm. So, you know, there's other things you can do that are not only more cost effective, but might actually be more effective than a traditional litigation model where that might just breed more contempt and, and breed more anger. Yeah. Um, you know, if you take, if you, if you write a letter, write an email, write a text to your other parent, you know, let's say it's a bad weekend and and your child comes back and they've had horrible blood sugars and you just say, you know, so-and-so was only in range, you know, X percent of the time and his average blood glucose was Y and, you know, we need to get on the same page regarding his care because until he can independently manage it, he's counting on us to, to keep him healthy. You know, if those types of communications that are neutral and pleasant and child-focused are still not being taken well by your co-parent, then that's a problem with that person. And, and that's where you've got to go in and take action to do something because, you've got to, you've got to be the protector for your child's health. Um, you know, just like you wouldn't send your kid to school if like their teacher was being, you know, abusive or you wouldn't, you know, you're, you're not going to send your kid into the fire here just because the other person is their, is their parent as well. You've got to protect your kid. So, um, you know, starting it off that way, trying to be as, as non-adversarial as possible and, maybe thinking about some of these other tactics other than just, you know, let's go back to court. Right. Um, can, can I add is, something is here? And, mm-hmm. and I know this because I run a fairly large uh, Facebook group. Uh, a lot of you don't write as well as you think you do. And um, you, you're not as good at communicators as you think you are. Like I, I see, yeah. I see, and I see people, they think they're having um, a well-balanced conversation, but you can still see the, the bite, the backbiting remarks and, you know, the, the, the desire to one up somebody or to outsmart them. And, you know, I, I would have someone else read that stuff. You know what I mean? Like find a trusted friend, not somebody who hates your spouse too. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're in that situation, but somebody who can read it from just a clear third party perspective and say, Hey, you know, in this sentence here, this is really passive aggressive. Or you're bl- or you're blaming the person here. Like we don't want to do that. Like the one, I'll tell you, one of the amazing skills that I've come out of uh, this podcast thing with is being able to talk to people in a way that I mean and is neutral and supportive. Like it's a it's a skill I've built up talking to people online, and it's super important. Like it just it. it in any situation, I mean, you could be talking about something silly with a stranger, you know, people kind of look to be insulted or angered when they're reading. Their people are on the defensive a lot of times. They, I don't even think they realize it. They're, um, the way I put it usually when I'm talking about it privately is people want to be upset. And, yeah. and if you give them any opportunity to be upset, then they get to take whatever it is inside of them that makes them want to be upset and they, and they get to put it on you. And so there is a way to communicate with people where it is impossible for them to do that. And if they do, it becomes very obvious that they're the problem in the situation. I think that's the kind of communicating you need. Um, anyway, that's just my two cents about that. I've, uh, 
I've talked to a lot of people and seen a lot of people argue and a lot of people get along. And I, I can tell the difference between a sentence that's going to go over and one that isn't. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that that's, you know, my advice to my clients when they are responding to a, a parent where there is a lot of animosity, where there's a lot of issues is, okay, draft your response, you know, just like anyone would tell you, right? Don't send it right away. Go back, try to scrub it out for some of the emotion. and respond to facts with facts and, you know, provide facts where they're necessary and do your best to keep emotion out of it because this is emotional. You know, I get emotional just thinking about my daughter. And, you know, when I talk about her, I didn't get emotional today because we barely talked about her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, even when I've had to explain her condition to, you know, my coworkers or my colleagues or what have you. I mean, it's, it's a very emotional thing to think about, you know, if you aren't taking care of your kid, like what that could mean. And um, so this is not something that is, you know, if, if you've already have conflict with, with the person you're raising your kids with, this is not an area that's going to be easy. Right. Um, and it's going to be taken as criticism and it's going to put your, your co-parent on the defensive when you're saying that something they're doing is wrong. Um, and, and again, not to say that every little thing you, you should be putting them on the defensive about, you know, everybody has bad days with diabetes management. Um, I mean, maybe not you, Scott, with Arden, but, um, no, I do. Are you kidding? No, I know, I know, I know. Also, but, uh, you know, Jacqueline, by the way, like as good as I am kind of professionally talking to people in my own life, uh, it doesn't always go that well because, right. you know, because I don't stop and think about it in my own life. Sometimes you're just passing somebody in the kitchen and you say something and as it's coming out of your mouth, you're like, mm, uh, I probably shouldn't have said it like that. And, you, you know, but you don't even mean anything by it. Or sometimes you do mean something by it. Sometimes you're looking to score points or hurt people's feelings, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. Um you know, so just because I know how to do it doesn't mean I always do it either. So if you don't know how to do it, likelihood is you're going to do it. You know what I mean? You're going to you're going to say something that gives somebody. And in the end, in the end, the goal, if you just have to keep the goal in mind, it none of this matters right. anymore. You're divorced. You, you know what I mean? Right. Like, right. what's the end goal? My end goal is I want this kid to get pre bolused when he's at his dad's house. My end goal right. is I want them to test 45 minutes after they eat because sometimes the kid's blood sugar shoots up. The end goal isn't for somebody to like each other or feel good about anything. Right. I mean, you know, just try to take all that out of it when you're talking to each other. I don't know. It just seems. Right. You're, you're not going to convince your your co-parent to do anything differently by criticizing them, putting them, you know, putting them in a defensive posture. You know, if if they come back to you and you're like, you know, why was his blood sugar this high and this, this, and that, you know, that's not going to help anything. You already I mean, lost. It's over already. You've already lost. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, and, and you don't want to put this on, on your kid and depending on their age, some of it's going to be put on him or her. Right. Mm-hmm. Because at some point I assume, I mean, my daughter's three, so she doesn't do any of her own management except stick her little thumb out to get her finger poked. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, at some point your, your child is going to be managing their own care to an extent and you want them to have two good models 
to, you know, you don't want them to think it's a free for all at dad's house. And at some point they're going to think like, you know what, I don't feel good when I don't take care of my blood sugar. So I am going to do it. And again, this also depends on what technology they have available to them because it's a lot easier for a kid on a pump than it is for a kid who's MDI, right. To try to do it by themselves. But all of that to say, when you are communicating with the other person, if you can keep it as factual as possible, right? Like I said, you know, my first example, like, okay, they were only in range this percent. Like, how can we, you know, how can I help you to, to get, make that better? And that that's really swallowing a lot of pride to have to say that to somebody who you probably don't like very much um, and who you think is doing a bad job at managing your kids, managing your kids' diabetes. Yeah. But if you remember, like, this isn't about you, this isn't about you being right and the other person being wrong, because when the other person is wrong, your kid's not healthy. Right. So you still don't have what you need. Just right. now, now you're now you're like, oh, I'm right. Great. You're right. And the kid's blood sugar is still 350. What does that help? Exactly. Yeah. Right. I, I, you know, I'm actually looking for at the moment, I'm looking for some communication experts to be on the show. And I don't even care if they have diabetes at this point. Because I've been around people long enough now online that I just think it's valuable for people to hear how to communicate. Um, it is not something we teach children. We don't teach anybody how to do any of the things they need to do. Actually, you were talking earlier about like there's mediation apps for divorce. And I was thinking like how how funny is it that divorce is just like healthcare in America? Like we don't we don't try to treat it before it happens. We just find ways to make it easier after it's gone wrong. Like there, <laughs> like there ought to be marriage apps, you, you know what I mean? Not divorce apps. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and really what we're talking about is that people, listen, here's what I'm saying, Jacqueline, uh, without society structure and rules, we'd all just be having sex, smoking weed or beating each other up. And so <laughs> that's what I'm, that's what I'm starting to think. Uh, and so you need you need these lanes to keep pe- some people in. Like some people are going to be lovely. They're going to get divorced. They're going to do exactly what they're supposed to do. But that's not the conversation. The conversation is about what happens when it when it goes wrong or somebody wants to be angry or somebody is is hurt or, you know, is trying to hurt you back. There's all this kind of interpersonal stuff that's happening. Um, and at least when you have two attorneys standing in between you, that can kind of get stripped out of the decisions. I mean, you might not be happy while it's happening, but at least you'll get where you need to be. It makes sense to me. It really does. Um, And let's not forget, if you never get married, you won't have to get divorced. So, you know, wear a condom, et cetera. (laughs) But if you have kids, you're still going to have to develop a parenting plan. (laughs) I said wear a condom. Jacqueline, were you not listening? I said... (laughs) (laughs) No, I know. It's listen. Show, but, but I yeah, think I think you can the get whole world, the whole world. Just, you know, yeah. We're all just trying to survive. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's just this makes it so much harder. You know, to think. I mean, and I think about people who, you know, this is just not something on their radar. It's just they choose to bury their head in the sand about it. And okay, well, you know, all his blood sugar was high. So what? You know, yeah. his blood sugar was six hundred when he was diagnosed. He was fine. You know, I mean, it's like. People just, they have, if if you're with someone who has no concept and doesn't understand, you're in a bad spot mm-hmm. and you probably have to take some drastic measures and those measures are not going to be inexpensive. So you've got to pick your battles and maybe that means that you just try, you know, try to make things a little bit better and a little bit better. And before you know it, your kid can manage more of that. 
for care. Do you know how many times I've seen this specific problem where one of the spouses also has type 1 diabetes, doesn't take particularly great care of themselves, and therefore, in this scenario, the the judge or the mediator uses the parent's health as a barometer and the other parents like, no, listen, he doesn't, she doesn't take great care of themselves. Uh, we don't want that for the kid too. But then the parents standing in front of you and they seem like they're healthy because it's diabetes and you can't really tell if you, you know what I mean? When you're just looking at somebody, um, I've heard that problem from a number of different people where, where that could happen. And I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you're going to hear an endless number of people who have type one as adults who have children. And it isn't until their children get diabetes that they are actually able to even like psychologically make the decision to take better care of themselves. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of psychological and emotional things going on. I mean, your job's really important. Like we joke about attorneys, but your job's very important. Well, and like with this stuff too, I mean, it's like, okay, think about the intergenerational, you know, all the stuff you carry, all your baggage, all your intergenerational trauma. Then you've got this, you know, autoimmune disease that is clearly genetic. That's, you know, I mean, I couldn't, I mean, obviously sometimes it pops up out of nowhere, but um, like I said, like my father-in-law was type one. When I met him, he had just had a kidney and pancreas transplant. Oh, wow. And because, I mean, and he had a myriad of health issues. And at the time I didn't realize maybe some of those health issues were diabetes related. And again, he, he passed um, five years ago. So I don't, and my daughter was diagnosed, you know, three years later. So, I mean, I don't, I, or four years later. So I don't ever really want to bring it up with my mother-in-law. It's, you know, obviously it's a touchy subject. My husband grew up though his whole life with his dad, you know, going through issues, going through lows and, you know, he, he saw it all. But when I met him, he was not a diabetic anymore. I mean, it is crazy as that sounds. And when my, I mean, I, I just had such a, I didn't have the level of knowledge. So when my husband would say these things to me, I'm like, wait, what? What do you mean? Like, I, I didn't understand that, okay, your pancreas produces insulin. And if someone gives you a healthy pancreas, it's going to continue to work for a while until your autoimmune disease realizes like, hey, there's a healthy pancreas in here. Like, this again, again. Hey, so your husband, his feeling about managing diabetes, you you didn't have to, you never had to cajole him. He's the one who understood it on a deeper level. He killed his father. He is probably how he feels. Oh yeah. And he was devastated because he was like, Oh, this is, this is from me. You know, like Mm -hmm. she has it because of my genetics. And I was like, look, like I'm no angel over here. Like my, I have type two all through my family. I had gestational diabetes. It was a perfect storm. You know, she just got a, a genetic cocktail and you know, she, she's this perfect little person. I wouldn't change a thing. I I heard myself joking on an episode recently. And I say that because I, I edit them like six months after I record them. So it's almost like I've never heard it before. Um, <laughs> there'll be a moment where I hear your or my conversation. I'll be like, oh my God, that was good. Uh, but um, where I joked, where I think people with autoimmune diseases must have little beacons on them to attract other people with autoimmune diseases <laughs> for marriage. You know what I mean? Because every time I ask, like, like, is there anything else going on in like your family lines or celiac or um, I don't know, uh, hypothyroidism? Is there anything like that in your life? Not that I'm aware of, but I mean, now it's like got us thinking, right? And it's like, but no, I mean, we've, as far as I know, nothing else. It's also stuff people don't talk about either. Yeah. I mean, we, we, um, I mean, again, I type two all throughout my family. My mom had gestational diabetes with my brother. I had it then with my son. 
And then when I was pregnant with Everly, my daughter, who's my type one, you know, I went in for my test and I was just expecting that I was going to have it again with her. And, you know, I, I chugged the disgusting drink and they took my blood sugar and they're like, Oh, you're great. You're good. And I was like, wait, how is this possible? Like, why wouldn't I have it again? Um, and you know, I've read statistics that like, if you have gestational diabetes or chances of having type two, it's like you're 50, 50 at that point, you know, like your likelihood just skyrockets. Um, but I don't even know where I was going with that, I guess, except to say that there's just, you know, the, the whole, the whole notion of, you know, all of these, this slew of issues, um, and, and when they're onset and why they're onset and, you know, we all had COVID in May of 2020, and I'm pretty sure that's what brought on Everly's diagnosis um, or brought on the onset, I should say, um, was was COVID. But, um, you know, when, when I was in the hospital and this, you know, very nice intern came to see us and it's, you know, 1130 at night and I'm trying to get her settled and it's just been a horrible day. And he's like, oh, like, you know, you had, COVID. he's like, oh yeah, this probably brought on by COVID. And I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, what? Yeah. Right. What are you saying? Like, I'm like, is, are you a medical doctor? Like, cause in my mind, I had no idea that this could be triggered by a virus, you know? So I'm just like, I, I literally, I probably lost it on this poor, sweet intern who was just trying to be helpful. <laughs> like just trying to be nice. <laughs> cause I'm like, what do you mean? My co-? I'm like, are you a COVID like fake? Like, are you like a fake COVID person? <laughs> well, I think Arden's was brought on by Coxsackie. So it's a virus too. Okay. You know? So yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and makes sense. And I mean, she was really little. Um, you know, I guess I always thought that it was the kind of thing that came on in, you know, more, you know, seven, eight, nine, like that's just in my head. I mean, who, mm-hmm. what do yeah. I know? But that's just kind of the, the age that I thought was more of a normal age for onset was, you know, late childhood into teenage years. Right. Um, and so when they told us that when she was two, I was just like, wait, what? And it's so much harder. I mean, I'm sure every age is hard. You've lived through every age. So I'm sure. Yeah. Well, so far they've all been a ton of fun. So, <laughs> yeah, but, but when they're so little and their, their sensitivity factor is so low, like, you know, if she's taken a nap and she's at 145, I'm hesitant to even do anything because you know, just the smallest amount of insulin could send her plummeting, you know, there, and I feel like if, if she, if her insulin correction, if, if her sensitivity factor was, was more, if it took more insulin, I could dose her more aggressively. And sometimes, you know, I just, I don't, because I don't want to have her crash and, you know, it's I, just, it's hard. Yeah. You know, she's, I don't know how much she's going to eat for dinner and I don't know, you know, if she's going to want a snack after dinner and it's, you know, I try to pre this and, and she doesn't want to eat, which she just put in front of her, you know, it's so I'm sure that those things are always there, but it's when you've got a toddler, it's especially yeah. difficult. If you made me choose the worst part so far, I mean, when she was little, I, I'm going to guess it was, I I'm holding out a little bit of a, a little bit of space in that answer because I'm thinking college has the opportunity to be terrible. Um, and I guess I won't know for a little longer, but you're making me think this is a weird thing. I'm sure most people don't think like this, but there's part of me that would like to see how good I'd be at it again with the knowledge in my head now with a younger person. Mm-hmm. Like I like, yeah. if you could take me back, if you could take me back now to when Arden was diagnosed, I wonder how I would do. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I mean, I'm sure you do great, but I mean, like I think about like 
you know, when you say like, oh, with Omnipod and Dexcom, you know, or her A1C has always been in this great range. It's like right now, Everly's A1C is a 7.2. Well, when she was diagnosed, it was over 10. And, you know, that's, that's great that we've got it this low, yeah. but that still is not great. And it's like, I'm like, I don't know how we could do it any better than we're doing right now, unless I just did her, unless I just made her go low carb, you know, right. um, which I'm, you know, we've, we've definitely reduced and changed diet a bit, but I'm not going to make her do that at this point. Right. Um, you know, if, if she wants breakfast, so it's like, that's what I don't, that's the hard thing I struggle with is if she was diagnosed a little bit older, like people will say like, Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's great because she'll never remember, you know, she'll always just be used to it. I'm like, yeah, it's so great that I have like five years of managing this horrible disease without any help from the person I'm managing. (laughs) You know, it's like, I would, it's, it's not great. I mean, yes, it's good that she is so brave and just, you know, puts her thumb out for her finger stick and just lets me put on her Dexcom and she's, you know, she's gotten used to it, but it's, it's really hard to have a child this young and deal with it. And I can't imagine what you guys dealt with without the technology we have today. You know, just ran around constantly staring at Arden, wondering what was happening to her like constantly. And like, okay. And, and, and like, at least with, I mean, Dexcom, like, I think you guys said this, you and Jenny said this in one of the pro tips and it was such a game changer to me, but it was like, you Dexcom's not there to tell you the number. It's there to tell you the arrows, you know, like, you know, if I give her a finger stick and she's 120, like, okay, that means nothing to me because in a minute she could be 80 and in a minute she could be 160. Like, so it's like, okay, great. Um, but it's, so yeah, when, when we were without Dexcom, which was a very short period of time, I mean, I learned quickly that I had to get that for, um, or when our Dexcom doesn't work, which seems to be often, which is really frustrating, but we've had a good run knock on wood. So hopefully we're in a better way, but, um, is it hard to keep her hydrated? I guess to little kids, like they don't drink as much water and things like that, which really impacts how well the CGMs can work. Um, yeah, I mean, and I feel like I'm just like pushing water and pushing water, but I think also it's just, it's, there's so much less real estate for us to it on. Uh And I wonder if maybe she's, I mean, you know, the doctor just checked her. She didn't have like any significant scar tissue, but it's like, if I get it in a great spot, it works great for 10 days. And then like, we've had some really wonky ones and Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Listen, Arden only does her hips exclusively and she doesn't really rotate them that much except to go back and forth, back and forth. And Mm -hmm. her, her Dexcoms work terrific. Like, okay. So when you say know. her hip, where do you mean like, um, right. like back or the front? All right. So if you reach down your side and find your hip pointer and, yeah. and then you roll back to where kind of the middle of the roundness of your butt cheek is, mm-hmm. there's kind of a flat part in between those two places. And that's, okay. that's where Arden wears hers. Um, and we just go left, right, left, right, back and forth. She's never, Arden's never had a CGM on her stomach or her arms. Okay. And then where does she typically wear her pod? Stomach, legs, and arms. Okay. So, you know, listen, it's all the stuff you figure out. Even going back to what you said about, like, people say this is easier, that's easier. You're always going to, you're never going to take those conversations right. You know what I mean? Because it just, they always Mm -hmm. feel like you're trying, somebody's trying to say to you, oh, you're so lucky that your daughter got diabetes when she was two. Like, what the, like, I mean, the way I usually say it is, you know, you know, they told me that, 
it takes 30 years for diabetes complications to come. And that's what they told me when my daughter was two, which left me to add 30 plus two and think, right. oh my God, is my daughter going to get diabetes complications when she's 32? Like I, I got to live like that for a while. I got to live through right. a time where they told you it didn't matter how high her blood sugar was because she's young and it won't Ugh. affect her. That was a, a common stance from doctors. Um, yeah. You know, and none of it, in the end, you need to keep blood sugars lower and stable. That's what you're looking to do, you, you know, right. and the rest of it's up to whatever this all is. It's up to the universe. It's up to God. It's up to whatever you believe in, but low, yeah. low and stable and hope for the best. That's what, that's yeah. what you're shooting for, you know? Well, and that's the thing. I mean, like we, I mean, we've, we've started to just like, we took her to the movies and I'm like, all right what are we, what are we doing here at the movies? Like we get to the movies and she was like 120 and steady. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Like roller coaster. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, you know what, we're going to dose her super aggressively. And I bought a ton of candy to just keep in my bag. And I'm like, here's something I know she loves to eat. So if she starts to tank, we'll just, you know, pump her full of candy. Like, I mean, she's a kid. It's just what she wants to do. And I just, I'm like, let's experiment. Yeah, so let's just have see. To. Whole thing's and, an experiment. And she ended up doing great. She never was above 170, which is great for us. I mean, that's, congratulations. You know. That's excellent. Um, you, and you'll get better. I can yeah. tell you'll get better and better. Actually, you should probably come back on like in a year or two. And I'll tell you why. First of all, the most fascinating thing that's happened during this hour and a half is that Jacqueline, the attorney, and Jacqueline, the mom of a kid with diabetes, are almost two different people, which I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed. Um, you've said twice. Um, one, once in, in response to me and once in just on your own, which was great. Um, so, and, and you're so new at this, you almost don't know what you're talking about yet. And I think that if you came back a year from now and I was like, Hey, remember the lady who gave you the, the talked about the legal stuff here, she is back. Your a one C for your daughter is going to be, you're not even going to be able to believe it where it is. You're going to be so good at this in a couple of years. If you have your mind and your desire and this podcast, you're going to be fine. Thanks. I really, I really believe so that. Yeah, yeah, I can. T I listen. I talk to a lot of people, and I, I will say this over and over and over again because I believe in it so much. The desire to do well, coupled with good information, is pretty much most of what you need. Yeah, you know. And then after that, time you need some time. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a roller coaster, but no, we feel so much better now. I mean, I just remember feeling so defeated in the beginning, and like it was just it was oppressive. And yeah. so we're in such a better place coming up on her one year anniversary in eight days. It's oh, uh, well, I'm glad. It's it's, seriously, I'm glad you feel better. And you're, as and as much as you think this still sucks, like next year it'll feel better again. And you know, you can assign arbitrary dates to it, like every year if you want to. But the truth is. She'll grow. She'll put on body weight. That'll make the whole thing easier. Her, yeah. her eating will become more consistent. That will make it easier. Yeah. You know, all that stuff just, and time and your experience is really the, yeah. the part that, that you're really waiting for. You're really waiting to, to just start making, I, I saw somebody leave a review for the podcast recently online and they said something to the effect of what Scott says is right. After a while, I just knew what to do. And I didn't even need to under, I, I didn't even need to be able to like quantify the situation. I could just kind of like stop and look and think, oh, I know what to do here. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it does get to that at some point where you just, you've done it over and over again so many times. 
you stop doing the math and you just start going, oh, you know what? I see the the pitch of this Dexcom line. I, you know, just drink half a juice here. Or, you know, I we're going to have to put in two more units here. I can see where this went wrong. It just becomes kind of second nature, but it takes time before it gets to that point. You know, um, you said earlier, I don't know what you did with Arden when she was so little before the technology. And I tried my hardest to find this old blog post that I know I wrote, wrote but I can't find it where I basically took a picture of Arden at all these different blood sugars. And uh, I made, it was like a match game. You had to like match the photo of Arden <laughs> with the blood sugar. Um, mm-hmm. And that came from what one time the doctor said to me that like circles under the eyes could be um, like a, I don't know, something about t- higher blood sugars. I don't even know if that was true or not. It's just people, mm-hmm. people say things. And I talked about how I stare at Arden constantly, just trying to see if she looks like she's high or low, which of course is mostly ridiculous. And then I took these like few pictures of her where, you know, you can't, I couldn't even tell, you know what I mean? Like I knew the answers and mixed them up. And when I covered the answers, I couldn't tell, which, you know, you can't tell like, and that's all I did. I just stared at her. I was just like, I would just like find her, look her in the face. I don't Mm -hmm. even know what I was looking for. You know what I mean? I was just trying not to have to test her over and over again, but we ended up doing that. I would say Arden got tested. 10, 14 times a day when she was little. Because oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, sometimes I test her that much if Dexcom's not working or if I think it's telling me something wrong, you know, because then so with her little like, you know, she's three. So she's like, I really, really low, <laughs> like her little voice. And I'm like, are you low? Like, oh, shit. Like, I'm, you know, I go and Dexcom says she's perfect. And I check her and she's fine. I'm like, hey, honey, you're, are you, did you just want some candy? <laughs> like, are you looking for a lollipop here, kid? Are you working me? Is that what's happening? <laughs> Yeah. Oh God, she loves dum-dums, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they're not a good treater of lows because they take too long to eat. Like they're just, I mean, I guess maybe if you had like a kind of a stubborn low that you were just trying to slowly bring up, or I don't know, maybe yeah. that would help if it was just sustain it. But she always wants dum-dums and I'm like, there's no good way to treat for them. They're just plain straight sugar. They're just total garbage. There's nothing good about them at all, but she loves them. And I'm always like, Okay, if you're like kind of low, but not really low, and we're about to go do something, I'll let you have one. You know, it's kind of like how I've I've managed to keep them in her diet. Listen, it's and difficult to I ignore. I think sometimes she, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What? Uh, I'm sorry. You think sometimes? I, I think sometimes she just says she's low to see if I, she could sucker me into one. Mm-hmm. Sucker you in? Was there a pun on there on purpose? No. Oh, there you go. No, <laughs> I was just going to say a little ball of sugar on the end of a stick is like always amazing. So um, yeah. I, I'm with her. I think I think she's right. Okay. Well, surprisingly, <laughs> I have a long list of where the word was said today that I have to go back and edit out. That was interesting. At 112, twice, 126, 126, 44, 130, and just now at 131 when I mentioned it again. So I'll have to. <laughs> you were a delight, Jacqueline. Did you know that? Oh, thanks, Scott. Thank yeah. you so much. You feel relaxed? This was a pleasure. You're good, right? Like you feel pretty relaxed now, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were good. Were you nervous at the beginning by any chance? Honestly, I really wasn't, but I think it's just because I we just jumped in and I just was looking for your direction as to how to do that, you know? So, but no, I I mean, this is this is what I do. I feel very comfortable talking about it. And right. The intersection of these two things like couldn't I couldn't be more comfortable and you couldn't have made it more easy. So, oh, thank I'm you. very glad. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for doing this.
I'd like to thank Omnipod for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox Podcast and remind you to go to Omnipod.com forward slash Juicebox to learn more about the Omnipod 5, the Omnipod Dash, and everything else you need to know about my daughter's favorite insulin pump. After that, of course, you can check out Dexcom.com forward slash Juicebox. Are you eligible for a free 10-day trial of the Dexcom G6? There's but one way to find out. Dexcom.com forward slash Juicebox. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review, like a beautiful five-star review, wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe in the app that you're listening to or follow. And of course, tell someone else about the podcast. If you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, please go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Join the registry, take the survey, help people living with type 1 diabetes, support the juice box podcast. And last but not least, here's the link for Jacqueline's article. Juiceboxpodcast.com forward slash blog forward slash companion 708. It's also right now on the front page of juiceboxpodcast.com. And by right now, I mean end of June 2022. Juiceboxpodcast.com forward slash blog forward slash companion 708. Links also in the show notes of the podcast player you're listening in right now. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.